Hey y'all, welcome to Shades of Brown, the podcast that discusses the ever-evolving and sometimes contradicting thoughts of a Black millennial. I'm your host, Allie B, and I'm so grateful that you are here with me for this episode. If it's your first time with me, thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you stick around. This week, I am honored to have Dr. Corey Emanuel as my guest. He is a writer, producer, and the founder of Men Talking Shift. He helps us understand the psychological and social impact of media and technology on us and society. I am so happy to have you here. Welcome, Dr. Corey. How are you doing? I am doing great, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. I am uh, really excited to get into this conversation. Um, Earlier, I had uh, one of my listeners tell me, like, you don't ever have no men on there. And I'm like... Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Come, <laughs> I said, you know what? <laughs> I said, you know what? I got you. I said, not only am I going to have a man, but I'm going to have an episode just for Black men. <laughs> I'm here for it. I am here for it. Before we get into it, though, um, I want to uh, get into this segment called Shades of Dating. This is my new segment where me and my guests share ridiculous dating stories that further verify the dating pool has pee in it. Um, I've shared several this season, so I'm going to take a break and let you share with us some of your ridiculous dating stories. What you got for us? Oh, I mean, <laughs> where do I even start? Um, the most ridiculous dating story. Huh. You live in LA, so I'm sure you can just pick. <laughs> right, and I also lived in New York, and I, oh. I don't know, like, I was thinking that maybe New York had some more interesting yeah. stories than other. Maybe, you know, I can't think of anything that a that a date actually did, but I did think it was interesting one time that I was on a date, I had gone to the movies, mm-hmm. and we had come out of the theater, and... uh yeah, we come out of the theater and the person I was with on the date had went in the bathroom and then somebody coming out of the theater saw me and they were, you know, trying to approach, you know, mm-hmm. trying to swoop in. And it was just it was an interesting moment because I can get where people do assume that people go to the movies by themselves. So, you know, if you're standing by yourself, you know, it it, it may seem like, oh, OK, they, yeah. they, they're they free. Right. I can I can approach them or whatever. But, um, you know, I had to kind of play it smooth and be like, you know, I appreciate it. I'm flattered, but I'm actually here on a date. You know, right. so, you're interrupting. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I I, I try to be very um, selective in terms of even going on a date. You know how you have that that talking stage before you go out. And so I, I try to kind of. I try to be very selective about who actually makes it to the actual date mark. So I haven't had any just crazy over the top on the date experiences. I appreciate you sharing that. That yeah. helped. That encourages me, you know, just be yeah. a little bit more selective. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. People be bold, though. Very bold. With the approach. My That's, Lord. And because some people don't care if they might even saw they may have seen you on the date but if if, if yeah. they feel like hey I, i'm gonna i'm gonna take my opportunity they'll do it. free game right wow well thank you for sharing that yeah. all right well let's get into it let's unpack it 
So I wanted to, um, like, like I mentioned, you know, have an episode um, to speak about um, the state of Black men, what's going on, what we can do. So um, let's let's dive into it. I thought you would be the perfect person considering your background. So I'm excited for what um, my listeners and myself will gain from this. So what comes to mind when you think of the states of Black men today? Yeah, you know, it's, it's multi-layered. You know, we are Black men just statistically uh, deal with more chronic stress than any mm. other group, right? Meaning that we're dealing with, you know, everything from lingering childhood wounds to uh, racism, you know, some of the oppression, um, systemic racism, of course. Um, we're dealing with, you know, financial challenges around, you know, wanting equal pay or the same pay as some of us, you know, some of the same things that Black women deal with. So a a lot of just persistent stress, things that don't kind of seem to be letting up, right? Yeah. Um, So I know that that is, that's big with us. I think in terms of relationships and dating, um, we're also as Black men having to reckon with again origins, childhood mm-hmm. wounds, um, things that we saw modeled, um, gaps in terms of the types of love and nurturing, um, and 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 compassion that we should have received growing up, and so of course that's going to manifest um, in adulthood in some problematic ways for us, Ooh. right? Which can you know depression. Another big issue for us, um, anxiety, which is something I have dealt with, deal with, spoken out about. So as I'm talking with friends and I'm and I'm looking at the research, again, it's, it's very multi-layered, but mm-hmm. I again that chronic stress piece is is probably the biggest thing that I think black men are dealing with. You hit on um a, a major key, which is the lack of compassion Black men received, you know, and that starting in childhood. And you hit on, you know, so much of our experiences um, have a straight line back to our, you know, childhood experiences. Can you speak a bit more and elaborate on the uh, present day impacts of those pressures of the not only the social pressures and societal pressures, but those pressures that Black men have been carrying since childhood? Yeah, you know, I was listening to a gentleman the other day. He talked about it was him and his sister growing up. They were raised by their mom, and he talked about how, like, how much fear he and his sister mm. lived in because their mom would always come home angry. Mm. You know, and he was always trying to sort of walk on eggshells, <laughs> and yeah. how that has manifested in his adult relationship because he and his partner were talking, and she was saying that. Um, she can feel him not wanting her and the kids around sometime. Mm. Right. And so he, he was sort of having this aha moment of, Oh, I'm seeing the link now. Like I grew up, my, the environment I was in was very hostile and I sort of developed that same sort of what I need to be alone or I need to be isolated to sort of have peace. (laughs) And so that, has manifested as rejecting people that love him and sharing the same space with him, right? So that's just one example, but I use that one because 
you know, I fortunately didn't have that experience, but I have had lots of friends say they grew up in environments like that. And so now in their adult relationships, they're having to shed that particular wound of how do you coexist with with the people you love? Mm, Man, that this whole conversation, I'm sure it's going to continue to like poke at certain several different conversations that we cannot have all in this in this conversation but I do want to take a quick moment to to shift for a second and let me uh go on a different uh lane for a quick second and say that um in addition to this podcast I do a lot with trying to help adult black children heal from parental wounds. And when I first began, it wasn't specifically just for Black women. It was for Black adults. Um, But but what I've learned is Black men are very hesitant to deal with, address, even acknowledge parental wounds, specifically the mother wound. Um, We are very quick to acknowledge our daddy issues, but Black men have a serious issue with addressing and acknowledging they too struggle with their mother son dynamic and it shows up in their dating relationships it shows up in how in in every room they enter it shows up whether their mother was extremely overbearing very present overbearing and treated you know him like her freaking boyfriend or the opposite you know where like you were you know describing she was hostile always angry um did not uh, show affection, was very cold, um, didn't affirm him, right? And, and throughout that spectrum, in that mother-son dynamic, a lot of our Black men are, are hurting with a mother wound, and that's what's needing to be addressed. So I wanted to just pin that, you know, hopefully that it will be a seed planted for a Black man to say, you know what, Maybe I should look into this. Maybe there is something there. And I get it. I get it. The black woman is queen. I understand. You don't want to talk. I I get it. I understand that there's a lot of nuance there. And she was there. She held it down. She was mama and daddy sometimes. I get it. I understand that. But there is still room for you, black man, to, to take up space and to acknowledge what your pain is stemming from and to deal with that accordingly. Absolutely. So I just wanted to pin that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I can speak to that, you know, a little bit. I think what has happened general, generationally, and mm-hmm. some could argue that this isn't exclusive to uh, race in particular, but I, I do think it's very prominent amongst uh, Black um, yes. men, is self-betrayal is a skill that Black boys master very early. Ooh. And what I mean by that self-betrayal is like, We'll take the the most common example of, you know, uh, a boy that cries. Maybe he's five and, or six and his mom would say, oh, stop that crying. Right. Or, you know, uh, you boys don't cry. You know, are you a sissy? You get labeled all of these things. Right. So very early on, you have an emotion, you have feelings and you suppress them. Yes. Then you get in school. And that's reinforced by your peers. So now we're all kind of really battling the same demon, right? That was maybe role models for us, or at least we were conditioned to deal with our feelings and emotions this way. 
and it just continues to matriculate over and over and over again. And, you know, I've had, I, I work with men and I'm part of several um, male communities that have opened up and expressed that there were times um, where they expressed to a girlfriend or a partner and because of their own stuff, they didn't hold space for their feelings, even as an adult. So now you've got this continuum and then we wonder, well, why? I mean, why won't he open up or why won't he share? It's tra- It's really trauma. Yeah. I mean, there's really no way to. Yeah. Other way to describe it is 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 experiencing that same scenario just with different people. Just and so now you're people. carrying you're carrying the wound and it's manifesting in some sometimes very dark ways. Mm, man, yeah. I appreciate you for for explaining what that betrayal looks like because. Like that is spot on. What you're saying is spot on. So you created this uh, platform, this um, this community uh, called Men Talking Shit. Can you tell <laughs> us um, what your aim and mission is uh, for that? Yeah. So, you know, Men Talking Shit is obviously a play on Men Talking Shit. Right. But, you know, we really just want to address some of the things we're talking about in this very podcast. Just taboo topics, taboo conversations, things that men are stereotypically thought or perceived not to talk about, mm-hmm. right? And I've been, you know, fortunate in my own path and journey of being more vulnerable, being more transparent, to be surrounded by other men who operate in that same way. Yeah. And so it's sort of a coming together of like, let's redefine manhood, right? Let's redefine what masculinity looks like. It doesn't have to be toxic. It doesn't have to be problematic. We don't have to be known as this population who doesn't talk about their feelings. And so Men Talking Shift is really about sort of planting seeds, planting nuggets to say, okay, this is how some men are thinking about relationships or, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about personal growth and development and trying to just sort of disseminate and make it infectious to move away from, again, some of these traditional ideologies. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, I assume that that, is a, that could possibly be a, a hard space to uh, trailblaze because of the resistance. Absolutely. Um, um, so I applaud you for yeah. creating. You know, I, yeah, and I was going to say, you know, I tell people very candidly, majority of the men talking shift audience is women. But mm. I don't I don't think of that as a bad thing because I know how influential the women in our lives are, mm. you know. So whether it's bringing it to the dinner table, bringing it to a date, you know, the, the, the men are going to get it. They're going to come come by it. And then I also think for our men audience and our men followers that we're also holding space for men to or I, I, as I often say, you have to model the behavior that you want to see as well. So I don't, again, I don't mind that women are a large part of our audience because I know that it's going to get to the men. Oh, that's so good. Again, there's so much just in that to unpack. Um, (laughs) That's powerful. I think what you're saying about modeling is so powerful because in this space where we as a Black community are being enlightened and we are shedding layers of generations of trauma 
whether that's spiritual, um, relational, whatever it is, we are awakening and we are experiencing somewhat of a, of a renaissance, you know, um, I think that when we get into that space, we want so badly for our tribe and community to give that too, right? Like, like, let me just give you all this information or I need for you to change. And it's like, well, the best thing to do is just to model it. And I've had to learn that even in my own life, you know, where I felt like I was hitting brick walls or, you know, I wasn't being effective. What I ended up finding out was like you just being, you just living out, you know, in, um, being committed to these values and these principles that you doing the work and you showing up authentically, that is you being influential and effective and you wanting, you know, to uh, spread this message of wellness and mental health and emotional stability, all of those things, you're doing that by just living authentically. So I think that you saying that it's so powerful because, um, it's not always in us having to be in teacher mode, you know, or us having to fix someone because we can't fix, we can't fix ourselves. Heck, exactly. we can't fix people. People aren't exactly. to be fixed. Um, so I, I thank you for encouraging us to just show up and model it. Sure. Um, and, yeah. and yes, Black women, we are powerful in, in regards to our influence to our men, our, our, our sons, our brothers, our partners. So let's be wise in how we move with that influence and with that power. Um yeah, because we can make a break a man. And that's just the truth. It's just the truth. Whether we want to admit that or, you know, it, it just is what it is. It's in our nature. It's in our makeup. Yeah. And I would encourage us to be to yeah, to to be wise in how we use our power. <laughs> so, um, speaking of how well, what are some practical ways we as black women you're talking about, you know, that's the majority of your audience in regards to men talking shifts, how can we show up better for black yeah, men? Absolutely. So, uh, and I'll probably mention her name multiple times on this podcast, but anyone who is not familiar with the late Bell Hooks, um, she was a prolific writer. Um, and she spoke a lot about the relationship between men and women. And so um, I'll share one of my favorite quotes with her that I think will open us up to unpacking this. But uh, she says, to create loving men, we must love males. Mm. Loving maleness is different from praising and rewarding males for living up to sexist defined notions of male identity. Caring about men because of what they do for us is not the same as loving males for simply being. When we love maleness, we extend our love whether males are performing or not. Performance is different from simply being. In patriarchal culture, males are not allowed simply to be who they are and to glory in their unique identity. Their value is always determined by what they do. In an anti-patriarchal culture, males do not have to prove their value and worth. They know from birth that simply being gives them value, the right to be cherished and loved. And so I share that quote because again, I think she's saying what you, basically just said a moment ago is like you gotta like love men or love a man or love that man in your life just that a core him being a man in your life first right not immediately going to well how is he going to perform for me or give me the things that i need because i think you 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 feel i think a lot of men feel the weight and the pressure of that 
right? On top of having to unlearn and, and do all of the things that you would have experienced growing up. And so I think the, the weight of that uh, can be crushing for a lot of men. But I think if more women um, for sure can just listen more, and I know sometimes you're like, well, they won't talk to me. But I think that goes back to uh, how, you, how you model communication in the, in the relationship, right? And so, um, yeah, I, I think that that's a big part of it. You know, just loving men at a, just a core value level mm-hmm. without any sort of expectations around performance and what what you do for me. Now, obviously, at some point, as you get into the relationship, right, there's accountability that we have within a relationship. And I think she does a good job of saying, well, we're not saying we're just going to let anything roll. Uh, But I do think that there has to be just that initial space of, okay, this is a place that I can come. Mm -hmm. Space is held for me Mm -hmm. in any sort of condition, if you will, right? Like I, I, if I lose my job, are you, can you still love me through, let me, let me figure out my next, let me, let me get to my next versus just this continuous weight and pressure to perform. We need a place to be able to take our shoes off. You know, we need a, a place to take our hat off and just breathe for a moment. And so I think if we can create more space for that, then we can continue to grow and nurture um, a healthy uh, dynamic. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's powerful. Um, what What is that balance when it comes to holding space for and loving a man just at his core, just for being, um, and also holding him accountable um, to being his best self, his highest self, Um how do we balance the two? Yeah. Well, I think some some level of it is just your own self-accountability, right? And just self-checking, right? And it's it's work. I tell people I when I break this stuff down and we talk about it, I'm not saying that it's like, okay, in three minutes, I got it. And, and <laughs> yeah. on sort of the next thing. No, it's it's an ever-evolving process, right? So I think being able to check in with yourself and say, okay. Is this something realistic that I'm asking of my partner or am I am I projecting onto my partner? You know, if, if there's some sort of deficit in another area that now I want my partner to swoop in. And I think it works both sides. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like just women doing this to men. I think men do it to women and vice versa. Um, but that self-check-in is, is really important. I think you get there through therapy, you know, meditating. Uh, there's a lot of methods to sort of check in with yourself to see, okay, what is what is true to me? How can a partner support me in this, but not necessarily be the one to sort of swoop in and always save the day? Um, so that's, that's one of the ways, I think. Um, I think we also have to increase our own level of vulnerability and transparency. Because somewhere along, the way, yeah, <laughs> somewhere along the way, whether it was childhood or in some of your adult relationships you've been in, you've experienced rejection. You know, you, you're, you haven't been validated in your emotions. And so how, how does that now show up in the current relationship? Um, so, again, it's, 
it's so multidimensional, yeah. you know, but I'll, I'll pivot it back to you. I would love to know from you and some, whether it be dating or in friendship with men, what have been some effective ways that you've felt like showing up this way has, has increased the way he might be able to show up? Um, I believe that one of the most effective things um, has been affirmation and just general encouragement. Um, I've found that even though I don't always feel like it's effective, you know, because I don't typically get the response that I'm looking for. Because, when I, you know, for my girlfriends, it's like, oh, I thought you said something. You know, with men, it's just like, okay, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's one thing that I have leaned into, and I won't even say like intentionally, honestly, it's just who I am. One of my love languages, my secondary love language is words of affirmation. So it does come naturally to me. Um, but what I have seen over time, those, the men that I've been able to affirm regularly, they will eventually come back and, and thank me or in some kind of way, whether through action behavior or through their words, will will tell me that was working. That helps me open up. It helps me feel safe enough to share some things with you that I maybe have never shared with shared with anybody before. Um, or um, I thank you for seeing me. Someone recently told me like, I know you see me and I appreciate that. And, and that made me feel really, really good because that's my goal is to make anyone who comes into my presence. Like I want you to like really feel heard, really feel seen and really feel valued just because. So I found that affirmation really helps. And one thing my, um, a cousin of mine told me this and it, it has stayed with me forever. Um, I said something very casually. I think I said something like, you're so extra or something like that. It was very something simple that I honestly would say all the time to him. And in this moment, he kind of snapped and was just like, like, why you do it? So he, he, he challenged me and I forgot what he said, but ultimately what he, what he was saying was you hurt my feelings by saying that. Right. And I questioned him because I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, you like, you know, like I'm always encouraging you. I'm, I'm always affirming you. I'm always rooting for you and supporting you. And he said, exactly. Because you're so good at affirming your words have a lot of weight. So when you say things that are critical, it also carries that same weight and it's very easy to tear us down. I was like, oh, okay. Mm. So in that moment, he taught me that just as I am affirming, I also have to be careful because what I think may be a casual joke or a casual, even a casual critique, it is not being received in the same way as I'm saying it. It has, again, weight. And that's such a beautiful teachable moment. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Bye Bye Burnout, written by Nikita Lawrence. Nikita Lawrence is a dynamic women empowerment speaker, coach, and best-selling author. She coaches, elevates, and mentors powerful women leaders to confidently pursue their purpose and their lifelong dreams using their God-given gifts. Nikita helps women dismantle the negativity that previously kept them stuck, exhausted, and unsure of themselves and their worth using a simple framework. The book, Bye Bye Burnout, is a no-shame guide written to help powerful women leaders unpack their stressors, find freedom from exhaustion, and experience more peace. This book is not a replacement for medical advice, but is a trusted companion to your medical provider's recommended treatment or recovery plan. 
Bye Bye Burnout is a must read for women, moms, wives, sisters, and friends going through a season of transition who want peace and need to hear from the still small voice inside. Purchase your copy at www.wakeupyourgift.com and save 10% using the code Shades of Brown. Again, that is www.wakeupyourgift.com and save 10% using the code Shades of Brown. The link is also listed in the description. Click on it and get you a copy. I have mine and I am loving it. One thing I like about it is it's not just a book, but in here she has opportunities for you to journal. She has some prompts for you to work through some things and to self-reflect. And she also, right before each chapter, I love this, she has uh, these pages where she has these declarations, you know, like before chapter four, she has where it says experience and enjoy, right? But you can color in it. You can color in, you can color in, um, the title of the chapter. So in the first couple, I have done just that. I have not colored since, I don't know when, um, but I've actually, I have actually been wanting to. And I got this book right around the time I was thinking that, you know, and I had no idea this was included. I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. And I have found that coloring y'all, it is so relaxing. Look, I colored, look at my coloring. <laughs> Look, y'all, I've been coloring for real. I've been coloring. Um, and it's just a really good way to de-stress, to relax. Um, so you're not just getting a book, but you're getting an opportunity to actually like work through some of your stuff. Um, so hello, peace. Get you a copy at www.wakeupyourgifts.com and use the code Shades of Brown to save 10%. We got sponsors, y'all. <laughs> okay, back to the show. That's such a beautiful teachable moment, I think, for for you, but also for the listeners, right? Because again, if we go, if we were to go back and maybe chart his experience, that that's triggering for him when that happened, right? There's there's been some experiences where he might have had a very hypercritical parent. And so you doing that takes him back to that moment of not feeling like he was enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it can resurface in those ways. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 And and to what you said, it's just a listening thing, right? Because what ego, what my ego wants to do was be like, defend myself, right? Like, I didn't mean no harm. My intention wasn't, you know, whatever, whatever. But me choosing to listen was the defining moment because me choosing to listen in that moment, one changed the way I show that I showed with him, but also just in general with me in general, it's knowing that my words have power, that our words have power, right? Um, what What is that scripture? Is it the power of life and death is in the tongue? You know, words are seeds. They have life to them. So we all should be careful with, with what we're saying. And we we have all defined curse words by being this handful of words we use, right? But the truth is curse words can be anything we say that goes against someone's true identity, right? You ain't going to do this. You're going to be just like that. Ain't no one going to love you like I love you. Those are, cur- those are curses. By definition, those are curses, right? So we have to be very intentional with our word choice. So I think that's been something that has helped me to um, sort of break through that barrier. And like you said, it hasn't been quick, you know, it's, it's just been a commitment to, to love and the unconditional, it can be hard sometimes because you, like you said, you know, we, 
our men tend to feel the need to perform and to check off boxes. Um, so there are, there are some couples, a couple of like tangible tools. Cause I do want our listeners, um, to, to have some things to walk away with that can help with this particular scenario. So, um, if you have never taken the love languages quiz, I think that's very important because you need, if you're in a dating relationship and it really could even be a friendship, you need to know how a person needs to experience love, yes. right? That's, that's important. But then there's also something called an attachment style quiz, right? And so attachment style quiz are going to tell you again, give you a little sneak peek into how they developed into the adult that they are beginning with their parental relationship, right? So there are different things like uh, being uh, uh, anxious, uh, being dismissive, being avoidant, right? We typically, and then there's also secure. So there, there are different attachment styles that we that we fall into. And a lot of people think, well, if, if this is my attachment style quiz, this is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And that's not true because if, once you take the quiz, you'll see you kind of like are a certain percentage in, in one category, but there is absolutely room for growth and healing in those areas because ultimately we would like everybody to move to sort of the secure attachment style. So, but if you, if you take that love language quiz, you and your partner, and you take that attachment style quiz, I'm not going to say that's going to overnight fix everything, but it's going to show you how to show up for one another. It's going to demonstrate what areas need work, right? And you, you'll you be surprised because if you're the one feeling like, okay, I got to kind of bring my partner into this world, you'll be surprised as, as to what you discover about yourself, which of course is affecting how they show up with you too. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Those are some good tools yeah. that I rely on heavily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get into more of the psychology piece. So you're not just a psychologist, but you are a media psychologist. Can you tell us what exactly that is and what led you to this career path? Sure. The most simplest, you know, definition of a media psychologist is someone who looks at how television, film, social media, anything, it could be artificial artificial intelligence, how these various forms of media technology influence human behavior, Mm. right? So me and my colleagues who operate in this field, everybody kind of goes down their different path. Me, because of, you know, the television writing, I was more so interested in, well, how, how for a black, we'll take the, the example of black men, right? How are black men being portrayed in the media and how does that perpetuate certain stereotypes? How does it role model for us? Because television film is a is a role modeling influence. How does that show us how to be in relationships with one another? Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, I, I like to often use the example of this is us. This is us was one of the first shows that I really saw a black man go through a very intentional, impactful therapy journey, right? It wasn't like one little or two little episodes, like we saw him go on that journey. And so I think that's a a very positive example 
of, okay, this for a black man and, and his experiences of being black, how, like, what can happen through therapy, right? And so, and he experienced some breakthroughs there. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, media psychology for me was something I got into because I was already working in mm-hmm. entertainment. You know, I had sort of come up through interning at Fox and interning at CNN and thought I was going to be a news anchor. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to necessarily get on TV and sort of talk about, you know, local news situations every day. What I want to understand is how are we being impacted by what we see, Mm -hmm. right? And are there ways to help us grow and and, and learn to be a better society Mm -hmm. through the media? Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it's, it's a challenge though. Like that's, I mean, that's not easy. I think the pandemic was such a great, you know, 2020 in particular was such a hard year, um, hard years, I should say, to be black and be looking to the media for some sense of hope. You know, where we had George Floyd, and, you know, we had Breonna Taylor and we had so many representations that showed the dehumanization. Yeah of us as a people. And so me as a media psychologist, you know, one of the things I looked at was how does online activism, like when you, when you, you know, rally together and, and, and show your support and, you know, how, what impact does that have on your mental health? And so there is research that shows or demonstrates that online activism is like a great thing because you, you have that sense of community. We're all in this together. Yeah. But as I've often encouraged people to you, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to mute certain people's, you know, if you're seeing a lot of new negative news to mute that, um, follow that person. So it's a balance there, but um, the media is not going anywhere. So I think we we need people to help us unpack it and, and try to make sense of it. Yeah. Yeah. So so with that, um, as it relates to the dynamic between black men and black women, do you believe the media, how we or how we use media, social media, um, in other in other forms of it, do you believe that it's doing more damage? Um than good? And if so, can we pivot that and begin to use it to build bridges and to connect more? You know, I so I often get asked the question, like, you know, does social media cause depression or does social media, like, make men cheat more? You know, and so I always tell people that start outside of the social media piece, right? If it, so First of all, like it's been found that like 7% of, of men, black men will be diagnosed with clinical depression at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. Right. And the number could be higher than that. But this is from those who actually show up. Right. The work and are able to be diagnosed. Right. right? And so I always tell people like. Social media can increase depression like but typically there's already some underlying, you know, issues, Mm -hmm. trauma, uh, again, uh, mental disorders that are already there. And then yes, you can get on social media and be triggered. Um, Same thing with cheating. I tell people like that's 
cheating is an integrity issue, right? There's there's something going on with you at a core mm-hmm. integrity level. Mm-hmm. But social media does offer this huge playground, mm-hmm. right, of opportunities. But so, but in terms of just saying like oh, social media does this or causes mm-hmm. this, it's not that black and white. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so I always just try to make those distinctions. But yeah, social media can absolutely uh, increase anxiety. It can increase depression. But you still need to do the work of, of sort of figuring out where you are emotionally mm-hmm. outside of social media. Right. And, and then you may find, oh, yeah, I, I need to be on social media because yeah. this, is a, this is a huge trigger for me. Um, it's definitely not helping me in this particular area yeah. that I'm struggling with right now. Um, but yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. How do we gently encourage our brothers, our partners, our family members to seek counseling, to to give therapy a try? Yeah. It's, I find a lot of resistance. It's like, ah. it's It's a village. You know, I, I wish it would. I could say, well, you know, it just the black women, if they just tell us to go to therapy, we'll go. You know, it it really does take the village. We need more men. Um, and again, going back to the men talking shift community, more men talking about their therapy, you know, results or, or, or scenarios, what they're getting from therapy. We have to normalize the conversations or the growth that comes out of therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I tell men all the time. You don't have to give us all of the intricacies of your story, but anytime you kind of experience an aha moment, going back to what you were saying earlier, the mother-son wound, um, you know, where you you've dealt with body dysmorphia and you're healing from these things, share that, you know, whether it be with your homie on, at the basketball court or, you know, uh, you and the other men down at the mentoring uh, you know, session, like normalize these conversations. Same thing with women. Um, the, the more you are willing to sort of share where you're growing, your modalities for healing, all of these things have to be normalized for, because again, going back to the whole childhood thing, we've been conditioned for so long to betray ourselves and suppress our feelings. It's, it's, it's unlearning those things and you can't unlearn it unless people are talking about it and they're showing you how they're moving through it and how they're navigating it. Yeah. So it's a group effort. It's a complete. And, and there's all I don't want to take away from the onus that you have, you have to have. Like I know um, one of the things uh, we talk about often is like the difference between emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. And a lot of studies actually show many men don't emotionally mature until they're in their 40s, right? Now, my, now, when you think about that, right, we don't start dating in our 40s. We start dating in our teens. We're heavy dating in our 20s. We're getting married in our 30s. So, yeah, you are going to sometimes encounter relationships where some people aren't that emotionally mature. And the thing about emotionally maturity is, it's influenced by a number of different means. Again, how you were raised, you know, role model, influence, all of those things. These are skills. Emotional maturity comes by way of life, mm-hmm. right? And so if it really depends on how you're living your life. Yeah. Whether you're going to be increasing your opportunities to mature. Yeah. 
right? Because you, you know, you can be emotionally intelligent and, and know the things. You might follow all the, the posts on social media that would make you think, oh, I got this thing. But if you then don't put it into practice in your relationship, on your job, with your homies, then it kind of just falls flat. Man, you, I don't even know that I put this piece in the notes I sent you, but you are literally speaking to a sub point, a sub bullet I have almost verbatim because I was going to ask you earlier, you know, like bridging that gap with our brothers specifically, bridging that gap between emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. Because what I found then, you know, as I've entered my 30s, I'm like, you know, I've got more standards and, you know, I've got more boundaries and I'm, you know, I'm in, in this place of self-love and self-care. Therefore, the men I entertain, family or otherwise, I, you know, I require a, a certain level of emotional awareness because I'm not putting up with just anything anymore. And that's not just romantically. That's just across the board. Right. But what I found is, OK, now. I found that my circle is becoming a reflection of, you know, who I am, right? The men who are aware, who are in tune with, with, you know, who they are, who have the therapy lingo. They say all the right things, but there is this gap. (laughs) And, and, and I found that, you know, oftentimes these men who I'm like, okay, I can, you know, start to take my guards down because they get it, Mm -hmm. but then they continue to harm you know, with their behavior, their inconsistency, their lack of accountability, their lack of follow through integrity, all these things. It's just like, but wait a minute. So I appreciate you saying that the emotional maturity doesn't often come until later because that gives me language for, for even my own personal experience. And I believe it'll give language to my listeners, men, men and women, you know, to, to help understand and shape their experiences like what is going on because people are not to be thrown away right you know we can't just toss toss them to the side I want to be patient with my brothers I want to be you know like okay help me get this what's going on because because that's been a a huge point of frustration for me personally so I really thank you for for saying that piece for sure and I think you know again speaking specifically to our black listeners um one of the things I enjoy doing as a media psychologist is sort of picking apart memes, TikTok videos where people talk about their childhood dynamics and how that sort of manifests in adult relationship. And I think one of the uh, best examples I'm seeing recently are a lot of Black people talking about how their mothers didn't apologize, you know, growing up. Like you never got, and I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry. It was sort of like, Conflict happened, something blew up, and then it was like, well, come on in, come in here and get something to eat. So I, I tie this back to the emotional maturity piece because, again, I think we're, we're conditioned and taught at a very early age how not to work through conflict mm. in, a, in a positive way. Mm. You know, what does it look like to, like, own your mistake, uh, you know, apologize for it, and like move through that in a health, we don't know. Many of us don't know, right? And so, yeah, you can know the ling- lingo of, okay, this is what a, a good apology looks like. But if you don't get into relationship and like see the conflict through, then you never get an opportunity to really demonstrate emotional maturity. Yeah. Right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it seems like it's this big, hard concept, but the more you think about 
what you saw, what you experienced. And that's, and I always tell people that's never an excuse to, well, my mama never said she, she was sorry to me. So that's why I don't, I don't say I'm sorry to people now. Well, you know, your mom didn't say she was sorry a lot. You know that that was problematic, <laughs> right? <laughs> so now you have a choice right, as to how you show up, how right. you apologize and how you work through conflict. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's yeah. good, man. That helped me. Yeah. All I heard you saying was, uh, girl, start dating 40 and older. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Now, don't, but don't get me wrong. I know we laugh in, in just about that kind of stuff. But again, it it, it varies. You, you're yeah. going to have some uh, young men who, you know, at age 20, because of their life experience, who are just really emotionally mature, like maybe they had a parent that passed away. And so they kind of had to step into that role of working early and paying bills, helping mm-hmm. pay bills. And so they, they have the, the arsenal, they have a toolkit yeah. Yeah. that makes you more emotionally mature. Yeah. Whereas a, 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 a man who just sort of always had things done for him or handed to him, that that's going to make him show up a little bit differently. Right. Yes. Yeah. This is also very good. Um, in regards to building, in, re, in regards to building trust with each other, um, both black men with other black men mm-hmm. and black men with black women, um, what do you think needs to happen in order to enhance that trust? Because it seems like such a break. It seems like such a breach, and we can of course trace it on back right to oppression and to systemic issues. Right. But today, now that we are aware that there is such a polarized, you know, we're so polarized. We're just so like, that's them, that's them. How do we begin to, what do you think needs to happen for us to come together, men and women, and then men and men? Yeah. Can you, you would you mind giving me an example of where you maybe experienced trying to build trust and, and it sort of fallen flat or it wasn't reciprocated? Um, I'll give... Uh, an example that I think is relevant to this last couple of years with social media and stuff, right? We, um, it was the rise and um, the really unfortunate fall of Kevin Samuels, right? And um, we begin to have these, I mean, podcasts popping up left and right about men and women. Men, men need to do this. Women should do this. And it's attack after attack. And it seems like no one's listening to anyone and no one is realizing that we actually need each other to, to exist, to coexist. Like we, we depend on it. We, we should be interdependent. Right. Um, yet we continually isolate ourselves emotionally. We're, we're together, you know, we're in relationships, we're in friendships, we're showing up at work. So we're together, but we're so not together. Um, so that's an example of where I've seen this just like separation where it's always y'all need to, right? And I'm like, all right. So clearly there are valid points on both sides of this argument, right? Like, and and we, we've talked about, you know, listening more and stuff, but just, there's just a general sense of mistrust and um, I can do without, you know, uh, the, the other party. And it's troubling because it's just like, y'all, we're not going to get nowhere. Like we, we're we going in circles. Um, so that's more of, of, of where I'm coming from in regards to that trust thing. Like, yeah, I, you know, I, I often think about trust through the lens of abandonment. 
Mm. that there was some relationship, there was some moment where you put your trust in someone and they abandoned you, they disappointed you, they just flat out lied to you, right? So there is some healing of whatever that is that mm. had to happen, right? And I think if you've, if you've lived life, you've experienced being lied to, you know, being abandonment. And so now it's sort of this collective, yeah. like you just described, of people not trusting one another. So it's valid in that you don't want to go through that experience again. So it's easier to just say, well, I ain't going to trust nobody. I get it. But to your point, that's not really how you're going to be able to foster any thriving relationships because a a relationship, a friendship has to have a level of trust. Right. So I would just encourage anybody. um, I always say, you know, you got to find your tribe. Right. Which comes through again, you know, experience of you've got to you've got to let people in to a certain degree, as you get comfortable. And you also kind of have to see, well, how how are they going to hold this information I've shared? How are they going to hold my truth? Give people an opportunity. And if if they show you, you, you already know what it's like. You've already been hurt, disappointed, and nobody wants to repeat that. But you also can't sort of stay in self-protective mode mm. and think that you're going to build thriving relationships either. Ooh. Right. So it is it is going to be a matter of of opening up, sharing. And you do that again through careful, you know, selection and, and, and asking questions about how people think in terms of integrity. Yeah. Right. Where, where is your where is your sort of moral compass? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the more you, you plant those seeds, people will reveal themselves. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll reveal if they have that emotional maturity mm-hmm. and they have that emotional intelligence. Right. Mm-hmm. But none of this stuff is just like out the gate overnight. Oh, OK. Yeah. This is somebody I can trust you there. There is you have to go through the cycle of, yeah. of dating of, of communication in order for those things to reveal themselves. Yeah. yeah. My pastor says this all the time and it's so true. It's there is no victory without vulnerability and it all goes back to that. You know, it's a risk, um, but yeah. we, we've got to, to, as Brene Brown would say, brave trust, brave vulnerability. Absolutely. You know, we just got to do it and Absolutely. use our discernment. We, we need to pull back, you know, and, Trust that we're going to be safe. We have enough life experience to know that we're going, we're going to be all right. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this conversation. You have dropped countless gems. You have helped me and I am certain you've helped uh, our listeners today. And I just appreciate you so much for, for joining me. Can you tell us where we can find you and share anything else you may have coming up? Absolutely. So Twitter, um, Instagram, you can find me um, at Corey Emanuel, that's C-O-R-E-Y-E-M-A-N-U-E-L. On TikTok, I'm Dr. Corey Emanuel, uh, trying to drop some gems over there. Um, And then Men Talking Shift, that's S-H-I-F-T. Love to, to see you guys come over and follow us on Instagram. So I look forward to connecting with you all. 
Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And you all can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Shades of Brown Podcast. If you'd like to get some merch, you can, of course, uh, visit everythingalleyb.myspreadshop.com or just click the link in the description below. If you would like to become a sponsor, you can also click the description below. And if you if you like to support the podcast in ways that do not cost you money, please feel free to subscribe to my mailing list, subscribe to my YouTube channel, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and just share this podcast with your community. Share this with your friends, with your partners, with your family. Share, 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 share. And I really appreciate your support of this podcast. And of course, if you want to start a podcast, reach out to me. Uh, let me help you. Click the link in my bio to schedule a free consultation. I also have a starter kit. A down- you can download that for free. Uh, your voice is needed as well. So if you're like hesitant, you don't know where to start, I, I would love to help you. Um, so thank you again for tuning in today for this episode. And as always, I would like to leave you with this. I hope that you would be well love well, and be loved well. You deserve that. That is my prayer for you. So until next time, bye.